In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Tuesday evening where we have the opportunity to get into the great Christian thinkers. We are now into the 9th century in Saints Cyril and Methodius, and this really affords us the opportunity to continue our reflections into how the Apostolic Church continues to stretch its arms. Huh? We read in the Gospel of Matthew, Go therefore, baptize and teach and make disciples of all nations. And you really begin to see this over the past few months. If you're to go back with me a little bit, who have we talked about? St. Columban, who along with St. Patrick was one of the great apostles of Ireland. How about St. Bede the Venerable, along with St. Augustine of Canterbury, a great apostle of England? Uh, Maybe a month back now, we talked about St. Boniface, the apostle for Germany. This evening, tonight, we have the opportunity to talk about Saints Cyril and Methodius. Uh, The second time, we have the opportunity to talk about brothers, which is always interesting when you pull back a little bit and, and think about the significance of that. Here you have two brothers evangelizing and catechizing a whole group of people, and of course, with Saints Cyril and Methodius, they are apostles to the Slavic people. And with that, it is Tuesday, and that means I have John O'Hara. So, John, great to have you with me another Tuesday. Good to be here again, Joe. Thank you. John, before we get into Saints Cyril Methodius this evening, I wanted to just briefly reflect upon the importance of the word mystery. The word mystery. I've been thinking about this a lot, been presenting upon this topic quite a bit, just not this past weekend, but over the past few weeks um, as we prepare for Lent. I just have kind of made it a focus One of the things I've been thinking about is how much time we as human beings spend on inquiring about mystery and how we are attached to mystery. You know, we we spend millions of dollars as a country inquiring into the unknown. If it's uh, up there in the stars or if (laughs) if it's discovering what lies at the bottom of our ocean floors, mystery captivates us. Even our television programs. You know, if you were to go into what are the top television programs Uh, You see CSI, Uh, it's everywhere, CSI Las Vegas, CSI Boston, CSI Miami. Uh, They are widely popular, and it really got me thinking, what is going on here? What lies behind mystery? Who done it? Yeah. Once you get to who done it, okay, what do you do next week? You got to find another who done it. Yes. But real mystery is finding what are the truths of life, Mm. faith-seeking understanding, and uh, that really is the mystery. And just to blab for a minute, magic mystery. Mm. When the guy takes the rabbit out of the hat, we know it looks looks pretty magical. Mm-hmm. But we know there's a trick there. Mm-hmm. Mystery is something serious and deeper. Yeah, mystery captivates us. So we spend all of this money into these programs, and we are attached to all these television programs. And John, I've got to believe what's going on here is that our inquiry into mystery is only a signpost of a deeper yearning for God, because why God in his deepest mystery is love. The Greek word for mystery is mysterium, inexhaustible reality. 
And I really believe that our inquiry into mystery everywhere we turn only bespeaks of a much deeper truth, our yearning and longing for God, our yearning and longing for God's love. Huh? If we've got CSI Boston, CSI Miami, how about CSI Calvary? Huh? Because if, if we're going to talk the stuff of a crime scene investigation, John, then we need to go to Calvary and come to understand that Calvary is the place where we come to discover the meaning of love. And so now, John, what does all of this have to do with what we've been about here each and every Tuesday? Well, <laughs> in so many ways, uh, the Church and her fundamental vocation to bear witness to the truth of Jesus Christ, it does so by revealing the mystery of Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus Christ. All of these Church Fathers, they simply provide more insight into what is inexhaustible, that which is God's love. This, of course, brings us back, John, to that great quote that comes to us from St. Thomas Aquinas. The more you come to know, the more you realize how little you know. This is the nature of mystery. The more you come to understand about the nature of God's love and how enough is never enough, well, then you just want to keep on going because you're drawing from the feast that never stops giving. And that being said, John, Saints Cyril and Methodius um, provide uh, more insight into the breadth of the Church by the way in which certainly they go deeper into their own prayer life, but how the Spirit inspired them to, to once again go far and wide to the, Slav, to the Slavic people. They were born of wealthy parents. They came from a senatorial family in Thessalonica, Greece. Now, if you remember, the very first book written in the New Testaments was Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. Right. So they came That's from right. that town, well-to-do, and the older of the two was Methodius, and the youngest of the seven kids was a man named Constantine. He's Cyril, but mm -hmm. he didn't take that name until the end. Methodius was born in 815, and uh, Cyril born in 826, and uh, Methodius lived by far the longer. Now, Cyril went to uh, the Imperial University, we'll call it, in Constantinople, and he did very, very well. He was called Mr. Philosopher. He became a philosophy professor. His older brother was also involved in politics. And then Methodius went into a monastery. And with that, they gave up mm -hmm. their worldly life, which could have been quite lucrative. And they, and they followed the Lord. At about this time, the emperor, we're talking about now the temporal emperor of Constantinople, wanted them to go and do some missionary work in, we got to know your geography, into greater Moravia. Now, Moravia is not a country anymore, but if you go to go to the Czech Republic mm -hmm. and start to go south from the Czech Republic until you get to Greece and go east a little bit through Bulgaria, Romania, and then go west a little bit into what into Croatia. Remember the old mm -hmm. the old Yugoslavia. Yep. Go through the, that that we'll call that Moravia, and that is inhabited by the Slavs. In fact, we get the word slave from the word Slavs because mm -hmm. they have been kind of kicked around in mm -hmm. European history. And they were going to go and they were going to do some mission work there. And the, the Slavs had no alphabet. They, they spoke, but they had no written alphabet. So um, Cyril and Methodius went there. And there was a turf war going on between German bishops who spoke, we'll say, Latin, and the Slavs who didn't speak Latin. And Cyril and Methodius began to develop an alphabet. The Russian alphabet, great language, Russia, the best 
novels probably ever written. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dostoevsky. Cyr- yeah, Dostoevsky, <laughs> a Cyrillic alphabet, which was thanks to St. Cyril. That's I, right. uh, they both worked on it. Mm-hmm. And it, actually, that alphabet is very similar to the Greek alphabet. And anyway, they developed that, and they transliterated the sounds into this alphabet. And so now the Slavs had a written language, and they immediately began to translate the Bible. Smart thing to do. Mm-hmm. But the turf war came to be pretty tough, and they really had no authority other than what the emperor gave them. And then what happened is Cyril came across, get a load of this, the bones of St. Clement of mm-hmm. Rome. Now, we did a show on St. Clement right. of Rome, one of our, not our first one, but he was an early, early pope, maybe the second, maybe the third. But anyway, his bones were found in, of all places, not Rome, but um, Crimea, you know, where the Crimea, where Russia yeah, is yeah. now invaded. Okay. They found his bones there along the beach, and uh, they were put in an ossuary or wherever you put bones. And since they had really no authority, they weren't bishops. Mm-mm. They they had no authority really to ordain any priest to carry this mission on. They decided they'd go back to Constantinople to see if they could get some more authority. They went as far as Vienna. There was trouble going on in Constantinople. It was heard that they had the bones of St. Clement <laughs> of Rome, and the Pope at the time said, hey, I think his name was Adrian. Yes, Pope Adrian, hey, yes. Hey, bring the bones here. So they brought the bones to Rome. They told him about their mission in Moravia, and he was very enthusiastic about this. Mm -hmm. And about this time, Cyril got sick. Mm -hmm. And now Cyril's name was Constantine. He went to a monastery, and he took a monastic name, which is required, Mm -hmm. and it was Cyril. And he died in about 50 days. He died. Mm -hmm. And he was 42 when he died. Now his older brother lived much longer. Here they have uh, blessings of the Pope to go back to Moravia and continue this uh, missionary work. Yeah, and there was some objection to what they were doing, huh, John? Because at this time, there was the belief, and really it was a heresy, that it was lawful only to praise God in certain languages, right? Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. So what's this business of you coming up with this new alphabet, which by the way, John, isn't that extraordinary? Yes. <laughs> they develop their own alphabet. You know, one of the, the great things about uh, Tolkien is that he came up with his own alphabet, of course, wow. in Lord of the Rings. That's for a whole other program. But yeah, this you mentioned, the Cyrillian language. Well, there was there was great objection to this. Um, and it, I think Benedict XVI highlights this, this trilingual heresy where where again, we are to only worship God. It was only lawful to worship God in the languages of, of Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. The Pope yeah. says, well, no, not necessarily. Yeah. Look at what they're doing. Remember the commission from Jesus Christ. Yes. Go therefore, baptize and teach, make disciples of just not one, two, three nations, but all the nations, right? Yeah. We are a universal people. And due to the fact, John, that you had some heated discussions going on between one side who was embracing this trilingual heresy of it being only lawful to worship God in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, and on the other side saying, now, wait a second, (laughs) wait a second, what about the universal character of the Church, huh? This is really drawing out one of the great marks of the Church. We have four marks of the Church. The Church is one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. And this was drawing out the Catholic mark. Why? Because what does the word Catholic mean? In the Greek, katholike, universal. We talked about this. John St. Ignatius of Antioch in 105 AD coined the term Catholic for the first time. Why? Because the church that Jesus Christ came to establish was bound by a universal covenant, 
right? When Jesus Christ says in Mark 14, 24, this is the blood of the new covenant, the new testament, and I pour it out for all people, right? This is a universal covenant. This is a katoholike covenant. This is a covenant, John, just not for a Hebrew, a Greek, or one who speaks Latin, but even those who might be found in the Moravian region, right? (laughs) For all nations. And so the apostolic character was coming out, that character that was revealed in Pentecost, right? The fire comes down and they're interpreting this, not one, two, or three languages, but now in the gift of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they're interpreting all foreign tongues. Good point. Again, this is what was being discussed at this time because... Uh, if I'm Cyril, or if I'm Methodius, and you object to what I'm doing, wait a second. (laughs) What did Jesus Christ himself say? Let us go to sacred scripture. And so, essentially, they were fulfilling the uniqueness of their vocation, John, the uniqueness of their call to go to the farthest region, for all intents and purposes, as it was understood then, to this, uh, this area where you said it, totally and entirely uneducated. Correct, yeah. (laughs) Very much like the barbarian people, huh? Just uneducated. They bring this alphabet, which allows them to essentially use the word, yeah, appropriately transliterate, and to ultimately communicate and reveal to them the wonder and beauty of God. Powerful stuff. These men are both saints. Remember, number one requirement to be a saint is holiness, Mm -hmm. prayer life. So... They both began as monks. They went out as preachers and priests. Now, Methodius is sent back out. He goes back out, his brother said, he goes back out to Moravia, but there's more conflict with the Germanic bishops, and they do not want anything being done in Slavic. This is Mm -hmm. just unfortunate turf warfare. So Methodius goes back to Rome where he's made a bishop. Now he can ordain priests Mm -hmm. and even consecrate other bishops. He goes back. He runs into problems with, again, the German hierarchy, and he's put, we'll say in jail, but he's put in confinement for two years, maybe three. He leaves again, and he makes great strides. The Bible is being translated, and he converts, and and then there's more issues, and then he goes back out. What I admire about this is Methodius kept on going, Mm -hmm. because he had trouble politically. Mm-hmm. He had trouble from his German Catholic bishops, mm-hmm. and then the popes seemed to change. They don't live very long in these days. I mean, they're elderly, I guess, when they become a pope. And then the pope thought, well, you know, maybe I don't know if we should keep on doing this in the Slavic tongue. Mm-hmm. And then Methodius dies of natural causes. I think he was 70 years old when he died, so he mm-hmm. did pretty well. But I, I'm not sure that he died feeling mission accomplished. And John, you just mentioned something that that I think we should uh, pause and reflect upon a little bit, because I don't think we talk about it enough when it comes to these great Christian thinkers, um, and one of the aspects of holiness that comes out, and it's that, that perseverance. You know, James 1.4 says, patience or perseverance perfects all things. Uh, don't lose heart. Overcome the trial. I mean, what does Jesus himself say in the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes? What's the last Beatitude? Blessed are those who are persecuted in my name. Blessed are those who, uh, who are steadfast in my name. Uh, blessed are those who understand that to, to lose something is to actually find me. Blessed are those who overcome. Uh, the great paradox of the Beatitudes, John, is uh, what we think is a negative ultimately emerges as a positive. And the saints embodied that. You know, you, you, something bad happens to a saint, and they accept it for what it is, something 
that was necessary in God's divine providence, and they use that, and they become a better version of who God is calling them to be. And this is really a mark of the saint, and a mark of these great men that we've been talking about over the past year. St. Teresa of Calcutta had a saying, God does not call us to be successful, he calls us to be holy, something like yes, that. It was, yes, and yes, And that reminds me of what you were just saying, that reminds me of, of our saints, every one of them, that you just keep on going. Yeah, amen. And we have to remember something, John, as it relates to uh, this commission uh, that we have been entrusted with, that it's, it's a commission. Okay, what does the word commission mean you know, in this Latin? Commissio, right? So we're in mission, not solo, but with someone, with the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? Commissio. So when Christ sends us forth, he commissions, he commissios us. He, he sends us forth with, the cum is with the Holy Spirit. These are men who were sent forth with the Holy Spirit. And we must always remember, what does John say? Because in John chapter 15, verses 19 to 20, he says, the world will hate you right. if you follow me. Yes. I mean, the words are strong. The world will hate you. The church is never going to win a popularity contest, John. And if the church is winning a popular, uh, popularity contest, if, wrong, if the world is accepting the church, that the church has ceased to be the church, right? Mm -hmm. Because in the end, being set apart, which is what holiness means, is about living in the church and in the great gifts that the church gives us in the sacramental life. And so for all of this is very important because, of course, this is what Saints Cyril and Methodius not only embodied and how they embraced, again, this uh, apostolic character of the Church, but also how they overcame. Yeah. Now, it would be important to note, John, that, and Benedict XVI and John Paul II both highlight this, that Saint Cyril was more of the contemplative. Now, they were, they were both monks, they both yes. enjoyed Correct. monastic life. But St. Methodius was one who was uh, more active, okay? Mm -hmm. And so I have refrained from using the phrase over the last year, because in theological circles you hear it quite a bit, but the Cyrillian and Methodian ideal is this active and contemplative life, right? Or contemplative active life. So St. Cyril, contemplative, St. Methodius, active. You will hear out there in certain theological circles this Cyrillian Methodian ideal. When you hear that, it's the contemplative active life, uh, because this is this is what they aspire to. And if, certainly, as we look back into the life, you see Methodius, especially after Cyril's death, uh, become much more active. Another piece you talked about the end of his days. You know, he was training disciples. Yes, and. He, uh, like Christ, you know, he trained disciples himself, and he sent them forth. And one of the great legacies of Methodius, uh, certainly Cyril and Methodius, but maybe even so more Methodius, was him training up these men, and these men, the, these disciples, going forth and evangelizing and catechizing even more of the Slavic world, which was very important. Yes, it was. Your comment about prayer, and the active life, hugely important. Mm. And I have a great deal of respect for people who did both simultaneously. Some of the Jesuits come to mind. We'll talk, we'll get to them years later. I mean, sure, we're sure, still on sure. The, yeah. We're still on the show yeah. a year from now. It'll <laughs> yeah. be a good time to get to them. But some of those people who are really, I'm thinking of John Paul II. I mean, these of guys course. just uh, really yeah. workhorses at both. Mm -hmm. And 
I remember once again Teresa of Calcutta saying to a priest, you know, he said, oh, I don't have time. I got to do this. I got to do this. Mm-hmm. Take more time to pray, she said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, she did. And things got better. Okay, yeah. yes. Yeah. These guys worked very hard. And uh, Methodius, he, he, he was now a bishop and he ordained priests and he uh, consecrated other bishops to keep this movement going, mm-hmm. which it did. Mm-hmm. And just a little bit of a change of subject. Uh, a lot of kings helped out later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, St. Wenceslaus did Bohemia and Poland. St. Vladimir of Kiev, obviously in Ukraine. Mm. He was quite active around 972 to 1050. Great, great saint. Era. Great saint. And then St. Stephen of Hungary, we've heard about him. Sure, sure. Yes. Now, John, for purposes of clarification, what was the link or connection with uh, these saints, St. Stephen of Hungary, St. Vladimir of Kiev, and the others with Saints Cyril and Methodius? Remember, both these men were dead, mm-hmm. and there was an attempt to replace the old Slavic liturgy with, we'll call it Latin, yes. German, I'm not sure quite what. Yes. This was a power struggle. Yes, yes. But in the end, this old Slavic liturgy came back, and it still is there in these countries, and it's been there since, we'll call it about, say, the ninth century on, mm-hmm. is because, you know, I think the Germans kind of lost interest in keep going to the east. Yes. But, um, no, I... What he did lasted. I don't think Methodius realized it when he was dying. He may have felt like a defeated man, but uh, he and his brother, Cyril and Methodius, are patron saints of Europe, mm-hmm. declared so, I believe, by Benedict XVI. Mm-hmm. So yes. we have St. Benedict and St. Cyril and Methodius as patron saints of Europe. Wow. Yeah, you know, John, as you mentioned, uh, Benedict XVI, I actually think it was uh, John Paul II who declared St. Cyril Methodius uh, co-patrons of Europe back in 1980 in an apostolic letter. I was thinking, John, earlier we were talking about the universal character of these men. There's a great quote that comes to us from uh, Pope Pius XI in an apostolic letter of his own where he's talking about St. Cyril, and he, he's describing the two brothers, and he says this, "...they are sons of the East, Byzantines according to their homeland." Greeks by birth, Romans by their mission, Slavs by their apostolic fruit. There you have it. I mean, there in that quote, you have crystallized how their lives were a testimony to the universal character of their sonship. Truly, they belonged to a universal church. I mean, to identify, John, the need for new graphic characters closer to the language spoken by the local people. It just, it really befuddles me. It's so amazing to think about that extraordinary accomplishment. Are these not men for the new evangelization? Huh? I mean, what would have been the new evangelization 1,100 years ago, huh? I mean, Benedict XVI makes note, in what they did, we have a classical case of what is meant by today's term that's so often tied to the new evangelization. Not encounter, that's always the first word, but enculturation. Now, what is culturation? The ways in which every people must integrate the message revealed into its own culture and express its saving truth in its own language. What does this imply? Well, John, it implies a very demanding effort from all of us to, quote-unquote, translate, because it requires the identification of the appropriate word to present anew, without distortion, 
the revealed riches of the Word of God. Is this not what Saints Cyril and Methodius did? I mean, these two holy brothers have left us a most important testimony of what it means to enculturate the gospel. This is what's before us, John, in the New Evangelization, that in enculturation, we are creating a new encounter for the people who maybe once never knew Jesus Christ, but now do because our evangelical efforts inspired by the Holy Spirit. And remember, John, in the realm of God, there's no such thing as coincidence. John Paul II's declaration of these two men as co-patrons of Europe, given what Benedict XVI talked about, clearly, clearly has them on the forefront as patrons for the new evangelization. Certainly, St. John Paul the Great, as we now know him, is the father figure to the new evangelization, and we pray for his intercession. But I tell you what, Europe needs to be re-evangelized, as so does the whole West. Uh, and so we turn to these two great men, for sure. And maybe you and Bob on Wednesday get into this a little bit more, but new evangelization to me means, hey, non-priest, John, go out there and do something. That's right. And the next thing is, well, what do I do? I mean, you know, yeah. I mean I'm not... Yeah. Uh, but Cyril and Methodius didn't know what to do either. Mm-hmm. You know, you just take a look around you and go out. That's right. And, and, yeah. and do something to just make your best decision to go out there and do it. You don't have some grand plan. You just kind of go and try to address the events of the day. That's right. Amen, John. It really is. And do it always, as First Peter uh, 3.15 reminds us, in reverence and gentleness. Yes. You do it in that disposition, and you'll be well on your way. Don't worry, God will give you plenty to do. <laughs> right, it isn't the alphabet that's going to convert him, although yeah. it can help, and it may not even be your great speeches, it's going to be you, your yeah, personality. That's right. What that's do they right. see in you that they want? Yeah. Well, as John Paul II put it, uh, of course, you know, when, when asked what is the new evangelization, he says the new evangelization is new in ardor, methods, and expression. The ardor, the principle of ardor is the fire, the conviction, the enthusiasm that springs forth from a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. Then you're attentive to the method and expression, which always has as its focus Jesus Christ, and Jesus will show you the way. If it means coming up with a new alphabet, right, to reach a certain people— God will inspire you, and if you have the capacity, by all means, God will inspire you. You're right, John, absolutely. What is so foundational to the mission of the Church today, just not in Catholicism, but all Christianity, is to evangelize all people so that every person has the opportunity to profess their faith in the name of Jesus Christ. It reminds me a little bit of Francis appointing these new uh, cardinals. Uh, one mm-hmm. was from Myanmar, the old Burma, yes. and then one's from yes. uh, Mauritania. I'm not sure I know where that one is. But yeah. anyway, uh, these guys went out to that part of the world, the Mauritanias of the world, and spread the faith. Well, and what did he say when he was elected Pope, John? You have you have called me from afar, is what he said. Yeah. And uh, he, alongside of that, is calling other men from afar and uh, reminding us of this apostolic universal character uh, Catholic character that we've spoken to this evening. Well, very uh, good, John. I know you're going to be away for a few weeks. Uh, I might uh, call in the um, the pinch hitter George Wing, see if I can okay. get him here for a few weeks. <laughs> but uh, uh, thanks for joining me for another evening. And uh, I know you are uh, going to be in Hawaii. So <laughs> well, I don't worry. I will have, have my rosary beads with okay. me. Yes. Okay. All right. Very good. Let's close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. 
Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.